Bibles, turn with me to the fifth chapter of Paul's letter to the Ephesians. And we will begin reading in verse 15. If you're new to us, we've been studying through the uh, book of Ephesians week by week, small portions at a time. And that it is our habit very often just to take a book of the Bible and slowly work through it and make it our own. Now we're in Ephesians 5, verse 15 through 20. Be very careful, then, how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. So far, God's Word. When I was about 12 years old, my father installed a new gas furnace in our farmhouse. And that was, I guess, back around 1970, 1971. And uh, it was not a very expensive gas furnace. It was sort of the bottom of the line. And in order to light this old gas furnace, of course, you needed to light a pilot light. Have to crawl, you have to get down low and get on your knees and reach way inside with a long wick. Uh, this was even before the little scripto uh, lighters. You know, and we'd even light a little piece of newspaper rolled up and we'd hold it and you push down the regulator button and you'd light the pilot light, this tiny little flame. Tiny little flame with a tiny bit of gas that would come through. You'd have to hold it for like a minute, it seemed forever to a little guy. And then you'd turn it on and lift up your finger and the pilot light would stay lit until the thermostat said, it's cold up here. And then what happens? Then the tiny little flame goes whoosh and right underneath the heat exchanger, these powerful flames would just fire up and warm air would blow out through the whole house. And it was warm and wonderful. I think, in some sense, it's possible for Christians to be pilot light Christians, as opposed to flame on, full furnace Christians. And I think that that is where the Apostle Paul is moving as he's taking us in this text. He is coming to a crescendo where he says, I want you to be filled with the Spirit, overflowing with warmth and heat and light and joy, filled with the Spirit. And so he tells us here 
with two exhortations how to be flame on, full furnace as Christians. And it was very humbling for me to read it this week because I thought about how much of my own time and my own life I'm probably like the pilot light as opposed to the full furnace for the Lord. And so he says, first of all, he says, be careful how you live. He essentially says, don't lead an unexamined life. And he unpacks this in verses 15 through 17. And then secondly, he says, be filled with the Spirit in verses 18 through 20. And there's this crescendo to this exciting picture of what it is to be on fire, flame on, alive, in Christ, in a new and wonderful way, the Spirit-filled Christian life. So let's jump right into this. Let's explore this together before we come to the Lord's Supper. And let's uh, pay attention right at the beginning where he says in verse 15, be very careful how you live. Pay attention to your own life. And I think this is a very good word for me, and maybe it's a good word for you too, because if you're like me, it's easy to set your life on cruise control. You know what cruise control is in the car? A fantastic invention, especially for long drives. But cruise control, you just kind of set it and you go along and you hardly even pay attention to what you're doing. I go to work. I'm living to pay the bills, hopefully to watch a little TV. I'm an okay guy and I just sort of cruise through life. Oh, I, 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 why, I'm a Christian. Can't you see the pilot light? It's lit. But I'm not very self-aware. The Bible says here you need to examine your life. Pay attention to your life. You know, even Socrates, who didn't Socrates say something like this? He said, the unexamined life is not worth living. He, he wasn't a believer, but he had this sense that, hey, maybe we should wake up and pay a little bit of attention to what's going on inside our hearts, in our emotions, what's going on inside our heads, what's going on in the direction we're going in life. Well, the Apostle Paul says, here, pay attention. Lift the lid. Here's another metaphor. Lift the lid that the pot is cooking. Lift the lid and see what's on going on inside. And he says three things about this. He says, be wise... He says, make the most of every opportunity. And then he says, please understand that the days are evil. And so here's how you sort of wake up and pay a little bit of attention to yourself. And uh, I thought about this a lot this week. The first thing he says, if you're going to be that flame-on Christian who pays attention to their own life, is to be wise, to seek wisdom, to be a wise person. And I love this because the, the... The on-fire Christians that I know love wisdom from the Lord. And this isn't just Old Testament stuff. You know, the Old Testament says what in Proverbs 1, verse 7? It says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. He's saying and uh, the beginning of instruction. And fools despise wisdom and instruction. Now, that's in Proverbs 1. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. And, and right after Paul says... Uh, seek to be wise, he he says, but don't be foolish. And so the Old Testament and the New Testament both make it very clear that if you're going to live a self-examined life where you're careful how you live, you're going to seek wisdom. Now, what is a good definition of wisdom? 
Let me give you a good definition of wisdom. Wisdom is skill in godly living. I like that definition. Wisdom is skill in godly living. That you have so taken in God's word and God's ways into your heart. And that as you travel through life, you're alert and awake and you are you have these skills for godly living. Um, you're going to not just be a pilot-like Christian. You want to know wisdom. Now, where do you find wisdom? Colossians chapter 2, verse 2, echoes Proverbs 1.7. Proverbs 1.7 says that the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and instruction. And you know, by golly, it says in Colossians 2.3 that in Jesus Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And so if you want wisdom, then what you want above all else is you want to know Jesus. You want a relationship with Jesus. Jesus Christ becomes the source of wisdom and knowledge for you and for me. And so just as in the Old Testament, the, the Solomon said, my son, you need to start with the Lord. So the New Testament tells us the same. Start with the Lord. Build your relationship with the Lord and wisdom will come to you. And 2 Timothy 3.16 says, The Holy Scriptures are then able to make you wise unto salvation. And wisdom comes from knowing Jesus Christ and His Word. Are you with me on this? That's where we begin. If you want to walk as wise, if you don't want to just be the pilot-like Christian, don't be foolish. The fool despises wisdom and knowledge. The fool says in his heart, There is no God. Or the fool lives like there is no God. So today, as you come to communion, maybe you're just going to begin by saying, Lord, I've been living an unexamined life. And frankly, I haven't been very concerned with wisdom and knowing you. And he's going to do a work in you today. He's going to put a new hunger for skill and godly living in your life. Maybe that's what he's going to do today. But the next thing he says is make the most of every opportunity. And if you're going to be careful in how you live, and if you're going to be a full furnace, flame-on Christian, you're not, then you're not just going to live your life down in a bunker, in a little uh, hole somewhere, in a dark room. But you are going to make the most of every opportunity, he says. And that means that as you go through life, God himself has ordained opportunities for you to serve him. Opportunities for you to serve him outside the church. Opportunities for you to serve him inside the church. Make the most of them. Don't just try and avoid them. You heard about the guy who said at, at work, um, you know, did, did your colleagues ever uh, uh, persecute you for being a Christian? And he said, no. They never found out. You know? But what this passage says here is that you need to make the most of every opportunity to live for the Lord, to let your light shine for the Lord, and to serve the Lord, both outside the church and inside the church. And, and may I say that I believe one of the strengths of the DNA of this congregation, of, of, of us together, is that we have so many people who naturally want to seize the opportunities to serve. And I celebrate that. Actually, I'm not here today to wag my finger and say why well, you, should, you should be looking for opportunities to serve because I really think it's very natural inside the DNA of this church. And I look around this morning and there are so many wonderful living examples of this 
And if we had two hours, I could point them all out. But, you know, I, I see Mike Devine up in the sound booth, and I know that Mike is passionate about using technology in order to assist the church. And so he works so hard to help technologically illiterate people, such as yours truly, take advantage of computers and sound systems and PowerPoints and the like. And he's always saying, how can I help? And Gil and Jane Colombo have such a passion for people to feel welcome in the church. And so they just visit everyone who visits our church and takes them a cake and a mug and says, we're just glad you visited us and we hope you felt welcome. And my wife, Nina, has such a passion to see women be discipled in their walk with the Lord, as Titus 2, verse 4 says. And so she just pours her life out into women wherever there is the opportunity. It's just the most natural thing in the world. And Tony Cunin has such a zeal and a passion for music. He loves music, and he loves to see our church rise up and sing to the Lord a new song and to make a joyful noise. And so Tony is practicing and thinking and praying and assisting us whenever there's opportunity. And Laurie Keenan is so talented with preschoolers. She has a zeal that preschoolers know Jesus and walk in his ways. And, and you should see how she seizes every opportunity to help preschoolers grow. And they just scamper into her classroom. They can't wait to be there. And Don Cameron loves to teach the Bible. He loves to teach the Bible. And people in his classes uh, on Thursday night or on Sunday morning, they just can't wait to be here to learn from the learning that he has engaged in. And he has a zeal. And, you know, I, all right, do you, you get this sense? People seizing the opportunity. Maggie and Patricia leading the food pantry. Karen Connolly leading the thrift store. And, and the, the elders of our church pastoring, caring deeply, laboring in prayer on your behalf because they want to seize the opportunity. What about you? You don't have to be the leader. You know, there are a lot of chiefs on the North Shore of Long Island. We also need Indians, too. People who participate seize the opportunities that are there just to participate in the body life of the church. He says, make the most of every opportunity. Otherwise, you're just a pilot light Christian. Yeah, the light's there. But the flame-on, full-furnished Christian will seize every opportunity. Now, he says something on the heels of that that might startle you. He says, you need to do this because why? Because the days are evil. Isn't that striking? He says, let me tell you why it's so important for you to wake up and get involved, to live an examined life and to seize every opportunity and to want to grow in the skills of godly living. Let me tell you why. Because the days are evil. What? Not on the north shore of Long Island. Why life, this is the good life. I got a full tank of gas, my girl at my side, and a dollar in the bank, and a large screen TV. No, no, he says. He says, wake up, the days are evil. Where's the evil? The evil, as the old hymn says, is fighting within and fighting without. Fighting within and fighting without. 
temptation, struggles with sin. Don't kid yourself, John. Struggles with sin inside every one of us. And the day is evil. Jeremiah said in 17, verse 9, The heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. Who can understand it? And there is a deceitfulness inside of me that, wants to, that tricks me into just being a pilot-like kind of Christian. St. Augustine, when he wrote the Confessions, you know, the Confessions of St. Augustine, he says, we are barely aware of our fallen state. We're scarcely aware of the sins that cycle through our life. In Dante's Inferno, you know, Dante, he pictures the people going down, down toward hell, deeper and deeper toward hell, until he even gets to Judas Iscariot. And what is it held in common of all the people in Dante's hell? They all think there's nothing wrong with them. Even the great traitor Judas Iscariot has no sense that he's done anything wrong. Now, what's Dante's point? His point is that we are so often blind, we are not living the examined life, and we are not aware of the struggles against sin and temptation that the Bible says you must be alert to and alarmed by. Are you alarmed by your sin? We're not alarmed enough by our sin. Evil is not just on the inside, it's on the outside. And so we need spiritual radar. Some of you are air traffic controllers in this church. And you know what radar is. And as the plane approaches, suddenly it's on the screen. And there is evil that's coming in this world, both in the form of temptation and suffering. And when you see it on the radar, you need to respond to it. You need to respond to it in wisdom. So... Will you resolve today to be careful how you live? As a church family, let's do that today. Let's say, Lord, I need to be careful how, that, how I live. Walking as wise, seeking wisdom, guarding against the evil that plagues me. Will you do that? And then, if you agree with that, brace yourself, fasten your seatbelt. Because in verses 18 through 20... He, comes, he takes us to the second point. He says, if you do, then I want you to be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. Do not, verse 18, get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit and speak to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. What is that flame on, full furnace, Christian? It is a person who is filled with the Spirit. There's this dual principle. It's really interesting. It says, don't be intoxicated. Don't get drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. And on one level, it's a parallel, right? If you're drunk with a wine... You're, you are under the influence. Is that what they say when you get a, a DUI, driving under the influence, right? And if you're filled with the Spirit, you are under the influence of something so much better. But actually, that's where the parallel ends. That's where the parallel ends. So in both, both, in both cases, you're under the influence. But what? listen, what is alcohol? Alcohol is a depressant. 
The Holy Spirit is a stimulant, not a depressant. Martin Lloyd-Jones was a great medical doctor in England who became a preacher and was uh, one of the great Christian writers uh, of our parents' generation, just a magnificent writer. But as a doctor, he studied the effect of alcohol on the human brain, and he talked about the depressive power of alcohol to quench judgment, to quench any sense of discipline, to quench balance. So, you know, if you see those hilarious YouTube videos of of drunk people who are staggering around and we sort of laugh as we see them crash into each other, they crash into the walls. But you see, friends, it's not funny after a while. It's not funny after a while, you know. In my fraternity house in college, the guys would get so drunk, so stoned, and they would laugh about it, but it wasn't funny. It wasn't funny. And it led to debauchery. It led to self-abuse. It led to the abuse of women and the abuse of others. It was debauchery. Underage drinking, pill-taking, the use of narcotics, not just underage, is destroying lives. In Russia, you know, we prayed for Russia, we prayed for Poland. The studies, the the staggering effect of vodka in Russia is unbelievable. Its effect on their gross national product, the, the the loss of productivity, the ruin of families and marriages, just because of vodka, startling. But in America, the vodka commercials, you know, just, you know, life is just just so wonderful. (laughs) Do not be drunk. Just so you know, the, the Bible makes it very clear here. It is never the Lord's will for a Christian to be drunk or intoxicated. So there's one exception. If, uh, if you're going to the gallows and they're going to hang you, what does it say in the book of Proverbs? And if, you're, if you're about to go and they're going to hang you for a crime you commit, it says, give strong drink to him who is perishing. Okay, maybe, maybe then. If you go to the firing squad, okay, they put that blindfold on you, okay, you could ask for a, a beer. <laughs> Aside from that... It is never the Lord's will for one of his people to be intoxicated. Okay? Is that... <laughs> we, we, you know, Proverbs 23, it says it goes down smoothly, but in the end it bites like a snake and poisons like a viper. That's what alcohol does. It bites like a snake and poisons like a viper. But what I love about this passage is that the Bible does not tell us to just say no. Moms and dads, you know, you're supposed to be the anti-drug and all of that. The Bible never tells us to just say no. Oh, it says, don't get drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. And what could be better? What could be better? Instead of the depressant, to have the stimulant of knowing the Lord and to have his spirit inside of you that put, makes that flame go from the pilot light to this full furnace boiling away. It's, it's so much better. He says, 
be filled with the Spirit. And here now, I just want you to know this little phrase. It's a strange grammatical uh, technique where he is saying, be being kept filled with the Spirit. And it's a command, and yet because it's... And so it's in the imperative, but it's also passive. So it's something you must do, and it's something you can't do. It's something that is done to you, and it is in the tense that makes it a continuous action. So it is a command, something we must do. It is continuous, so it must happen again and again and continually, and it's passive. We can't do it for ourselves. Instead, we must surrender ourselves to the Lord. And here... Here, just for a moment, it's so crucial for us to say we are a Trinitarian church. In so much of our world, we focus on God the Father. And we focus on God the Son. But often we do neglect in our instruction, in our catechizing, in our teaching, we neglect the role of the Holy Spirit. And I don't know why we do that, because it's so prominent. He is so prominent in the New Testament and in the Old Testament as well. Everywhere the glory of God appears, it is the Holy Spirit that is there shining. And what does the Holy Spirit do? This is not an exhaustive list. I just wrote down a couple of things. John 16, 8, the Holy Spirit convicts you of sin. Anytime you ever have that sense in your heart like, oh, ah, that was wrong. That is the Holy Spirit in you. The Holy Spirit regenerates. This morning in our, in our new membership orientation class, we had we, people shared their testimonies. We had some of the f- just most wonderful testimonies this morning, and two of the people just told the story of how they woke up and were made alive, born again. They told this story, and it, we, there was a smile just all around the room. One guy, he went to bed one night, not a believer, crushed in his spirit. He woke up the next morning, he was in the shower, and he said, I feel great. I believe. Only thing he did was read the end of the Gospel of Luke before he went to bed. He went to sleep not believing. He woke up believing. God regenerated him. You see, the Bible teaches that the Holy Spirit regenerates and converts people. God does that. John 14, 16, the Holy Spirit takes up a permanent resonance inside His people. If you are a Christian, every Christian has the Holy Spirit. It's it's very clear in the New Testament. If you're a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit. It's inside you, and He resides as God's temple. You become God's temple. He guides us. He illuminates us. And he brings spiritual gifts to strengthen and build up the church. 1 Corinthians 12, 1 Corinthians 14, 1 Peter 4.10. He gives strength and gifts to his people. Now, okay, we're not going to be pilot-like Christians. We want to be Christians who are aflame and full of fire and heat and light. Then be filled or be being kept filled with the Spirit. How do you do that? Well... This is really interesting. When you start to study the word, there's this word in the Greek language about being filled is used many, many times in a variety of fascinating ways in the New Testament. Uh, For example, it was often used of the wind to fill the sails of a boat. 
And as if they were moving along, as if the, the sailboat is moving along and it is the Holy Spirit filling the sails. So there you have this sense of pressure. You raise the sails, but God sends the wind. Then it's used in terms of what's called what you could call permeation. What do I mean by that? He, he, he just spreads all the way through something. So in the ancient world, when salt was used to cure meat, as it would permeate the meat, or it would fill, they would use this word. Um, so to be filled with the Holy Spirit is to have the Holy Spirit permeate your whole life, every aspect of your life. There's no corner, no corner of your life that you're allowed to say, this corner belongs to me, God, not to you. It's to permeate. You know the, those old drinks, the fizzies? They're like Alka-Seltzer. Fizzies. They were grape fizzies I was growing up. I, maybe I'm really showing my age here. You take a glass of cold water and you drop the tablets in there. They were purple. And suddenly the whole glass was fizzy and purple and grape, wonderful grape tasting. You see, that's the idea of permeation through all of you. To be filled with the Holy Spirit is to have all of your life brought under the dominion of the Holy Spirit. And uh, really, the main use of the word was this idea of control. And so, whenever in the Gospels, uh, Jesus would say something like this. He would say, sorrow has filled your heart. There's the word, filled. These are people who were dominated by sorrow because sorrow had filled their heart. Or uh, Luke writes that the people were filled with fear. There's that word again. They were dominated by fear. You see the sense of total control. And Jesus Christ lived this way. When he was baptized in the River Jordan, it says, and then he was filled with the Spirit, and you have this sense that Jesus Christ is under the control of God, his Heavenly Father, and the Holy Spirit with whom he's been in partnership for all eternity. So be filled with the Spirit. How do you do that? Here's the word, one word I'll use if you can remember this. It is the word surrender. Surrender. I like this word. Now, it is not to take away the active faith that we engage in. But uh, my good friend Jack Miller used to say, he used to say, Christians, it's got to be like when the sheriff comes into town. And in the old westerns that we used to watch when we were kids, what did the bad guys do? The sheriff would say, come out with your hands up. Come out with your hands up. And that is what we do. We come to the Lord. We come to the Holy Spirit. And we surrender. I come out with my hands up. When you take communion and you are a disciple of Jesus Christ, you know what you're doing? You're coming out with your hands up. You're saying, Lord, take my life and fill it. I surrender. If you are careful how you live, if you're seeking wisdom, if you're seeking opportunities to serve, if you're available to the Lord, if you're not intoxicated with the things of the world, and you are surrendered to Him, you will be filled with His Spirit, and the change, the effect will be real, I promise you. You know what happens? I tell you what happens. You begin to speak and sing and make melody in your heart. You speak to each other. You start telling each other about what God is doing in your life. And you go from being that pilot-like Christian who's so afraid that somebody might discover that I'm a believer to that Christian who just can't stop 
How can I keep from singing your praise? How can I ever say enough? How amazing is your love? You see, you can't stop talking about Jesus. You know those kind of people? They're full force, full fire Christians. You make, you speak to each other, and then it says something interesting. I love this. My mother used to tell this to me. She used to say, because I used to like to sing, she says, but the important thing is that you sing in your heart. Did you know that, Johnny? She would say, that you sing in your heart. Make, it's, I said, what do you mean? It says, she says in the book of Ephesians somewhere, it says, make melody in your heart. She says that when I was a little girl, that's what the preacher taught. You have to make melody in your heart. What does that mean? It means it's not good enough to sing with your lips. It is not good enough just to sing with your lips. Remember the indictment that Isaiah brought. These people honor me with their lips while their hearts are far from me. But instead, it, it is coming from within your heart. As the Holy Spirit is residing inside of you, filling the sails of your life, turning on the furnace, you have melody in your heart to God. And thankfulness, thankfulness, always giving thanks, he said, giving thanks to God the Father through Christ the Son. Here's the Trinity once again for us. Now, friends, do you think that you might be a pilot-like Christian? Then today we come now to the Lord's table. And what I am going to invite you to do is to ask the Lord to fill you with his Holy Spirit, that you would want the wisdom and resolve to walk as wise, to, to be careful about how you live, and if you have been drunk with wine or you're given to intoxication of one form or another, that today you say, Lord, I, I know I just can't say no, but I want something so much better. I want to be filled with your Spirit. I need cleansing. I need freedom from my sins. Please come, Lord, and touch me and fill me today. And at some point, he will minister to every one of us. I'm believing that right now. I hope you are too. And some of you are going to say, I want to seize the opportunities to serve. Let my life count. Flame on, full fire, boiler Christian. Well, let's come together. I'm going to invite the musicians to come up. I'm going to invite us to bow our heads in prayer. I'd ask the elders to come forward as well. And let's go and invite him to fill us now with his spirit as we partake in the Lord's table. Our Father in heaven, we come to you now and we pray that you would minister to us. We who are your disciples, that you, Lord, would show us if we have where and how we have been negligent, how we have been how we have been living an unexamined life. We thank you, God the Father, that right now you're going to help each of us sing and make melody in our heart. You're going to cleanse us from our sins. You're going to strengthen our resolve to serve and to bless your church, to honor you with all we know ourselves to be. In Jesus' name. Amen.